Andy, you're really quiet now. Am I? Right. I need to turn my mic down on. How's that coming through? Loud now. Loud. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you now. You've gone all, all Brian Blessed now. Just say Gordon's alive. Gordon's alive! <laughs> there you go. There's the new test. <laughs> cool. Are we ready to roll? Let's fucking do it, damn it. Let's fucking do it. It's Jim. <laughs> I suppose so. <laughs> Listening to a lot of new metal, so I've got a lot of teenage angst. <laughs> can't beat teenage angst nothing, nothing feels quite the same does it when you're older I know I was like listening back to like a, like a time capsule thing on Spotify and it was very like listening back to the lyrics and going oh god this is so awful but it still strikes a chord with me all of these songs <laughs> I can just imagine you sat in your room on your own giving the fist pump because you're so you feel so damn much and you know changing my MSN name <laughs> to something else and I used to like it that like if you if you had the ad if you had the add-on or the plug-in or whatever you could have it with Windows Media Player it would say next to your status what you were listening to on MSN I'd have to turn that off because like what I was listening to was never as cool as I like to portray myself oh, okay. Barbie Girl or Best of Aqua oh I never went down the Aqua route I hated them <gasps> oh come on now mm. But yeah, like my MSN name would always be um, like whatever lyric of whatever song I was listening to. Oh, yeah, to that totally. that's what, that yeah, was that's the it. thing. And it was always one capital letter, one lowercase, one capital, one lowercase, one capital, one lowercase. <laughs> you can't, how can you possibly hate Barbie Girl, though? It's awful. Yeah, this is the whole working men's club chat in the fan cast all over again. This is... No, it's, there was one song that Aqua did that was really, really good. Yeah, the one for that film, um, Sliding Doors. Yeah. Turn, Turn Back Time or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Turn Back Time. Yeah. That that was all right, but yeah, nothing else. They, they were shit. I think me and Goldie both owned Aquarium, the album. <sighs> I, I'm not surprised. <laughs> There's it was the ne- intro. <laughs> it was next to um, the Venger <laughs> bus. Or was it, just, or was it Finger Boys? Was it self-titled the first one? I can't remember. I've still got them all. It's like uh, as if it's like you know an actual serious body of work. Hello and welcome to Cage Fighting. It's your main man, Andy Gillard here. Hope everyone's good in the world right now. Hi everybody, Matt Guy here. Hello. Hello everyone. Enjoy within. Gentlemen, have we calmed down after the rip-roaring excitement of Zack Snyder's Justice League yet? I've had to take my Fitbit off because my heart rate was going so (laughs) high with, with pure rage and anger. No, I really enjoyed that episode as well. I felt very cathartic. Yeah, it was good to get into the the minutiae of it, and especially doing a film that's brand new and like the whole world's talking about. Because I don't think the whole world was talking about jujitsu when we discussed that one. <laughs> no, there weren't. <laughs> <laughs> there should be, but there weren't. 
Oh, God. It is on Netflix now, I think, in the States. I don't think it's over here yet. Well, so... Dean, Dean watch it on Netflix here, I presume. Oh, did, so. oh okay. So it is now, right. Mm. Yeah, I haven't. I don't know anyone else who's watched it, so let us know what you think out there. See if it is as bad as what we say. Anyway, fellas, we'll get on because there is a shit ton of news to be piling through. Uh, unfortunately, we do start with the terrible news that on the 24th of March, fans of American comedy lost an absolute stalwart. Jessica Walter left this mortal coil. Fans of Arrested Development will know her as Lucille. Uh, she's the blues overprotective and overbearing mother. If animation is your bag, then you'll know her as the voice of Sterling Archer's overprotective and overbearing mother, Mallory Archer, in the show of the same name. Globe Emmy, SAG-nominated, star of stage and screen. She will be missed. Thankfully, she did manage to record her part for the final season of Archer, which should be coming at some point this year. So it will be great to actually see her character one last time before... uh, Everything's done and dusted. Everything they do is so dramatic and flamboyant. It just makes me want to set myself on fire. Good grief. Not all homosexuals are flamboyant. Oh, my God. I have the exact same blouse. I like it better on him. It would help if you all showed up looking like a loving, supportive family. For how long? Ten minutes tops. See if you can get it down to five. Wow, what a party. Well, you make it seem so effortless. What do you need money for? A divorce? No. You're the only child who chose a spouse that I liked, and she's the one who had to die. I know, that's that's rough for you. You and Dad are getting divorced? Oh, don't worry, sweetie. No one is fighting over you. Actually, I'll be sleeping at your place. Paint fumes are deadly. You know, Dad's under house arrest here. It'll be nice to get a break from him, too. I know, Matt, I know you're a fan of Arrested Development. Stu, have you seen AD? No, I've seen a bit of Archer, though. Mm. Um, when I, when you said it, I didn't automatically know who she was, which is kind of shocking, really. But, yeah, it's it's always sad, but especially at that age. Yeah, it's not terrible. A, not on at all. Yeah, it's, it's a real sad one, this. And I only really know from Arrested Development, truth be told, but like the delivery of some of her lines just came across so natural but it was so funny like there's, there's there's a line very early on i think it's episode two or three of the first series when they're talking about the banana stand that they have and um because they're <laughs> so rich they're so rich like she has no concept of money and she goes what does one banana even cost ten dollars and it's just like she has no concept of money, but he just comes off as so sincere that like she hasn't got a clue. And there's a really sweet line when she's talking with uh, Job, her um, her I think it's the eldest who's a bit of a throwaway, and um, he he's splitting up with his um, his Mexican film star partner, and she's like, "You've got three days to find a wife or something like that." And he goes. He says something like, if I can't find a desperate Mexican in three days, I don't deserve to live here. And then she laughs at him in a way that's like so sweet and shows such like motherly love in a laugh, in like a crude joke. I don't know how to explain it. She's just, she just played it really well. And you mentioned as well about how she um, reacts to Jean Parmesan. Every single time. Always, always put a smile on my face. She was just an absolute scene stealer in that show. She was perfectly cast. Mm. And in, in Archer, she plays a very similar character. But again, he just works so well. 
So it is a sad one. Very, very sad. And also to further the sad news, April the 6th, which is today at time of recording, that fans of British comedy lost a great too. Paul Ritter passed away, leaving behind a great career also on stage and screen. He'd starred in the Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, Quantum of Solace, in the exceptional Chernobyl series, and of course the multi-award-winning Friday Night Dinner, another very sad loss. I'm quite a late convert to uh, Friday Night Dinner. It was one of the first shows that I watched during first lockdown. And it, it shouldn't appeal to me because it's a bit broad, but actually mm. it's really, really funny. They all just fantastic. It's always going to be in the shadow of Inbetweeners for Simon Bird. It's Simon Bird, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's always going to be in the shadow of the Inbetweeners um, just because of its success. But it, 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 it has a really strange way of actually capturing what mundane British life is like for for families. Um, mm-hmm. But in a way that's obviously not as uh, stoic as the royal family does it, because the royal family does it really well, but in a, in, a, in a very different way. It's obviously more playing on the poverty of the house that in the royal family, I suppose. But it, you know, it's it's really excellent. And, and Ritter was just phenomenal as as the dad. He was so funny. Like he was just wasn't like one liners either. It was just his mannerisms, his actions, and, and he really like made the most of it. And like every great character, you know, he has the catchphrases like shit on it. Like we do that all the time in, in the house. Like Sam loves um, Friday night dinner. So it's a real sad one, this. And mm. like Stu, you, I know you liked Chernobyl, didn't you? Uh, oh, you yeah. He read it to me and he was great and that, wasn't he? Yeah, in his serious role as well, which mm-hmm. well, we, we talked about it with, um, with Tom Stade a few weeks ago where comedians don't necessarily make good actors and you'd never know in that. You'd never know he was he was a comedic actor. He was superb. Mm. Terrible, terrible loss. What's the occasion? I'm just very happy at the moment. Oh, you? Yes, I am. <sighs> Martin, isn't life wonderful? Well, not really. No. Did you read about that man who beheaded all those horses? Oh, terrible. And I'm visiting London at the moment, aren't I? Yes, yeah. yes, you are. Well, London is a smashing place. Um, have you been to Buckingham Palace yet? Yeah, no, uh, yeah, oh, very nice. Yes. Yeah, funny to think that's where the Queen's had sexual intercourse. <laughs> well, can't we just get a delivery? Yeah, just find somewhere online. Online? I'm not eating bloody internet food. Pardon? Internet food? Oh, not this again. Dad, they don't actually make the food inside the internet. Internet bloody food. I've tried explaining it. It's not worth it. So on to, I'd say happier times, but I don't actually know whether or not it's because of Zack Snyder or not, but obviously there's been quite a lot of DC film news coming out of Warner Brothers of late. Um, You may remember on our Justice League podcast, I spoke about my excitement about seeing the Ava DuVernay bringing the fourth world to the big screen. So we'd be seeing Apocalypse, New Genesis and Darkseid would be the big bad. Well, that's been canned. So WB have pulled the plug on that and they've also pulled the plug on James Wan's fronted Aquaman spin-off, The Trench. It's almost like the WB listened to our podcast, didn't like what they heard and wanted to punish us. <laughs> it's all Matt's fault. Sorry, guys. Uh, apparently, though, they are now thinking of going back to the Green Arrow well. Um, so Charlie Hunnam and Liam Hemsworth are reportedly in mind to take on the Quiver. 
fine choices. Liam Hemsworth is sort of what I picture when I picture Green Arrow now. I think mostly, thankfully, to someone like uh, Stephen Amell bringing the character into the 21st century so he's not just a Robin Hood ripoff any longer. I don't know why they can't just give it to Stephen Amell again. <laughs> well, he, yeah. He was perfect. Yeah, he was excellent. Yeah, very much so. Uh, another unheralded hero getting some attention is Zatanna, uh, with Oscar-nominated Emerald Fennell being brought in to work on a script for the WV. And speaking of lesser-known DC heroes, Ewerman is also reportedly getting a film. Ewerman, who is a golden era Justice Society hero, um, which, I mean, it may link into Black Adam, which is going to be released next July, apparently. So July 29th, 2022. Speaking of Black Adam, it's also being confirmed that Dr. Fate will be appearing in that film. And Warner Brothers have snagged everybody's favourite Bond. And Pierce Brosnan is going to be playing Ken yeah. Nelson. Can we can we just stop there and ask Matt, what do you, th- what do you think's the, um, what do you think of Arrow Man? Yeah, I mean, it's a long time coming. I don't know. I've got to clear this. It's really. such a weird one to pick. Like, yeah, what, even what, as someone who's read a lot of that stuff, it's a what, weird one. What, what do you think his power is? Hour, man. Uh, he can go back in time by an hour. Uh, if only. No. That makes more sense. <laughs> yeah. He's got a um, an hourglass. Oh, okay. And when he turns it over, he gets super strength and super speed and stuff <laughs> for an hour. Oh, okay. Interesting. I I, mean, I didn't know about this one until I watched Stargirl last year. And when it when it was <laughs> when he first got it, I burst out laughing. I thought, this is ridiculous. This, it's it, a character yeah. who is from the nineteen fifties, forties, fifties. So it's Justice Society era of um, DC comics rather than Justice League. And that stuff's great to read, but it does feel quite corny when you talk about it now. It's not quite the same as what we've got going on. It sounds like it it, it would suit more a kids' film than a DC more serious film. Well, I mean, that does kind of bring me on to the next piece of news because Shazam is the next one. And Shazam does fit into the DCEU, but it's more of a more family-friendly kind of a film, isn't it, I'd say. Mm. So I do think DC are trying to do a little bit of something for everybody. So, you know, give maybe give up some more grown-up films and give some more childish films, as opposed to Marvel, which is just doing the same film time and again mm. sort of thing, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but the Shazam news is going to be that the sequel is definitely going ahead. It's Shazam Fury of the Gods. And Helen Bloody Mirren is going to be the villain of the piece. I know, she's playing Hespera, who is the daughter of Zeus, if I remember correctly. Um, She's not from the DC universe. This is one they've created for the film. I'm quite looking forward to seeing Helen Mirren in a superhero film. That's kind of awesome. I was thinking about this the other day. All the women that you want to... (laughs) (laughs) No, Greek mythology obviously doesn't have a copyright, does it? Or Norse mythology no. or anything, and I was thinking about this like, when I, you know, because American Gods and um, and then Zack Snyder's Justice League, but then obviously Marvel has Thor, and and I was thinking to myself like, can that just can they just be shoehorned into anything? I suppose, but there's no copyright, is there on 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 mythology? So I guess 
they can just do any any anything that they want with it. Yeah, so like you'll have some great gods in DC, and you'll have the same ones who appear over in Marvel, mm-hmm. just because, like you say, there's no copyright on it, so it is entirely possible. Ain't that thing where if it's in the public public yeah. life, public domain for a certain amount of years that it's free to use, something like, like that, the Be- like the Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, it's usually like, I think for most stuff, it's 70 years after the death of the author. But I, I don't know how it works because mythology doesn't really follow the same suit. But that, that's the general rule of them. But the one thing I have noticed with all the news that's been coming out of DC, it's almost like they're just throwing as much shit against the wall and seeing what sticks at the minute. It, yeah. it doesn't feel like they've got a proper plan in place, but... The reports are that they're doing this shake-up because they're trying to plan it. But looking at the films that have been mentioned, so Black Adam, Shazam, Man, Zatanna, they, they all feel very, very old school and not quite what we would expect of DC. I'm, I'm just a bit confused on what they're actually, their plan is at the moment. It's almost like a, a planning meeting in, in plain sight, in a way. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It's quite quite bizarre, uh, but they do believe that it's all going to hinge around the Flashpoint movie that's coming up, and that's going to be the one that's going to wipe the slate clean or bring new players in. So the current uh, Battinson is going to be set in Earth 2, but whether or not that will then cross over and then we'll move on from Batfleck. I, I don't, it's interesting to see where they're going, but I would like something in stone that we... We've got a plan to follow because it just feels like they're making it up as they go along at the minute. Or the other way, though, if we go into Flashpoint not knowing anything at all going forward after that, that's better, surely? Yeah, yeah, I suppose that, that well, does sure. add some excitement. Yeah, for, for now, take you and other <laughs> <laughs> your, your kind away from it. And if they're going to go for the regular people, mm. it's like what happened with... Um, when Spider-Man got blipped out of existence, but we already knew that Far From Home was being released the year later, so we knew he wasn't dead. <laughs> yeah, that did spoil it somewhat, didn't it? So, things like that. So, if you go into Flashpoint without them revealing anything, maybe they have got a plan, they just, or maybe I'm giving them too much credit. <laughs> um, probably the latter, but I think it's... A, it, for once, I think it's nice not knowing anything. Just going into a film like that without any preconceptions and not expecting it to be awful. Mm. Apparently there is one man who wants the Snyderverse restored though. And from what I hear, generally speaking, when he talks, people listen and that will be the most electrifying man in sports and (laughs) entertainment. Dwayne, the rock Johnson has told WB that he wants to play in the Snyderverse. And if Mm. WB aren't happy, he will cut them out and go straight to the parent company, AT&T. So it sounds like he's uh, he's not messing about. He wants Snyder on board, and he's going to do what he can to, to get it. Fair play to him. Rock for president. <laughs> Have you been watching Young Rock, by the uh, way? Uh, it's, it's great. <laughs> so the premise is basically he's in it as himself, as the Rock, in 2030, I think it is, and he's running for president. And each episode he's been interviewed talking about a period of his life as a kid. And they cut back to those times. Oh, okay. That's pretty it's cool. a bit like Everybody Hates Chris, mm. the Chris Rock one. It, it's good. 
uh, check it out. I'd, I'd very much recommend it. So jumping from one comic book conglomerate to the other, as we've discussed a few times on this pod, Marvel and Disney have finally made the decision to move Black Widow once again for the 700th fucking time. It's now been released in July this year, both in the cinema and on Disney+. Plus. I'm just hoping that they've seen the light now and this is going to be the path forward for at least the rest of this year rather than keep pissing around. Go with the dual releases, get them out there and just get it moving. With this one, I'm a bit baffled because we all needed something last summer when we were in the midst of the first or second lockdowns. We could have done with something. And they kept pushing this film back in order to avoid going to streaming. And they don't need to go to streaming now, and they're still going to streaming. So why didn't they just release it before? Give us something then. They've shit the bed a bit here, I think, personally. I just think mm. they just they've seen the success of what One Division got and what uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier are getting at the minute, and they're thinking, well, actually, we can do this because mm. before they they did it with the Pixar films and uh, Mulan. Mulan, whatever you want to call it. Um, it hadn't been done before, had it? So you've got to think that Marvel and Star Wars are their biggest properties that they don't want to piss about and play with. Maybe they've just had seen, seen sense. They've just come around to it and seen sense themselves. And like we've said before, it's a prequel anyway to what's happening at the minute in that year, in that universe. So it, it doesn't really matter. Mm. It's not like bringing out one of the upcoming upcoming films and putting that on the streaming because it has to come out because it matches up with the TV stuff. It doesn't it doesn't count for anything. So I think they've just come around to it and just thought, well, now's the time. Yeah, but, enough's enough. Yeah. Speaking of Pixar, um, apparently the decision to release Soul and Luca has made the staff at Pixar feeling very demoralised because they've released it direct to streaming, whereas Mulan and Raya and the Last Dragon and Black Widow, they'll be on Disney Plus Premium or whatever they want to call it, where there's that extra charge, whereas there was no extra charge for Soul. So I think that's that's pissed off people within the Pixar community. It does feel like a day of reckoning is coming for streaming and cinema and you know, the future of the film industry, really. I'm a bit worried, to be honest, because I'm like 90% sure that the only people who are going to be out of pocket throughout it all are the fans. Of course. They're the ones who are going to be shortchanged, ultimately, aren't they? I mean, I haven't watched any of their Pixar films, even though <gasps> I, I quite easily can. <laughs> I can just turn the on and just put, just put it on, but I haven't watched Soul, a single one. Um, Soul was an absolute delight. Yeah. Really, yeah. really. And I, I mean, for me, like, it's not my bag because i there's no murdering in it um, <laughs> uh, no but it, it really was excellent and i know that um sammy's a massive fan of uh inside out is that the one where yeah she, yes. um, she loves that film. and you know and she said she cried her eyes out of that i can um, imagine a lot of people i've spoke to have it, it's it's beautiful mm, mm. they really they really have a nice niche though with pixar um and and those films i mean Think about like favorite animated films and and uh, how much joy Wreck It Ralph gives me to this day <laughs> on a regular occasion. Yeah. That is just a wonderful film, and it, it it's that perfect harmony of colourful enough that kids enjoy it, but jokes so that are adult enough for the adults, or at least references like when the Metal Gear Solid 
exclamation mark <laughs> pops up and the noise comes on when snake's been seen just little things like that that keep you like keep keeps it enjoyable for adults yeah definitely at shoe you've definitely got to get on soul it's oh no superb and onward was the first one i from onward onwards i haven't seen any of them so but i think I, on is onward pixar or is onward disney it's pixar i'm sure it is I wasn't 100% sure. I, I enjoyed Onward, but it's not a patch on Soul. Because I know that uh, uh. both of the... <laughs> I know that both that, that wasn't intended. <laughs> um, um, both of them are up for the Oscar, but for me, it's a two-horse race between Soul and Wolf Walkers for that particular gong. Um, but yeah, they are good. They are good films, but... Mm. So also, speaking of animation... Thundercats. Thunder, so the, thunder, thunder. The director of Kong versus Godzilla is hoping to turn the uh, the mystical creatures into a film. He's thinking about doing a CG or 2D animated film of the classic 80s Saturday morning show. Any other 80s or 90s kids shows that you'd love to see on the big screen? Well, He-Man, obviously. <laughs> but they, oh, that, that needs doing, yeah. It's cheese and crackers then too. He-Man and Thundercats, you do one, you got to do the other. Yeah, you are right. I, I mean, the fact that we've only got that Dolph Lundgren <laughs> dread, dreadful film, it, it isn't right. They, they do need to revisit that one. There is one, I, I'm not sure if it, it's got to be 90s because I was a kid. Biker Mice from Mars. Oh, man. Yeah. I used to have a swim bag, a, a, a draw cord um, bag of Biker Mice from Mars and Street Sharks. Don't know what that one is. I don't know that one. Hush your fucking mouth. Say that against you. You don't know either. It's only you you being the baby of the group. You've never heard of Street Sharks? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. I know what it is because I've got a a brother who's three years younger than me, but I'm guessing um, the swim bag was like one of them rubber gel ones that see through with the. uh, Oh, yeah. The the whole. whole... Oh, man, of course. I wonder how much you can get. You've got to be able to get them on eBay, surely. I mean, in your in your dark <laughs> web connection, Stu, you can probably get a hold of anything you want, mate. <laughs> Biker mice swim bag. <laughs> are you t- are you young enough or old too young to remember Jace and the Wheeled Warriors? Oh, that's class. I used to love that. That was a great one. And Samurai Pizza Cats. I used to love that. Oh, fucking hell. Is that on eBay? 25 quid. (laughs) Oh, no. Sealed. (laughs) There you go. um, I used to really like a series of books called Animorphs. And I think that they brought it. uh, Yeah, they did two series. And basically, it was these kids ended up interacting with some cube from space. Sean Ashmore was in it. Um, Brooke Nevin was in it as well. Um, and basically, this cube from space gave them the power to turn into animals, but they could only turn into animals for an hour. Maybe it's our man Cannon, um, <laughs> and uh, and if they stayed as that um, as the animal, they stuck as the animal. Basically, one lad ends up staying as an eagle. But well, I used to really like those books. So if they if they could make that into a proper high budget affair, I quite like that. Brilliant. And finally, Star Wars: uh, The Bad Batch is coming next month. So it's going to be out in May. I've still not caught up on Rebels or Clone Wars. So 
it looks like there's a lot of animated worlds to be catching up on there for me. Uh, but their live action TV show, they've confirmed the lineup for the Obi-Wan series. And yowie wowie, what a lineup. So obviously, you've got Hugh McGregor returning as Obi Wan. Hayden Christensen is coming back as Vader. You've got Bonnie P.S. I don't know who she is, I've got to be honest. Moses Ingram, Sung Kang, Simone Kessel, and then the big hitters. You've got Joel Edgerton, Kamal Nanjiani, Rupert Friend, O'Shea Jackson Jr., and Benny Safdie, the man behind Uncut Gems. I, I'm really looking forward to this. I think mm-hmm. this should be excellent. The only problem is there's no Jar Jar. Well, my that next is, question was going to be, is there a, pre, a character or something from the prequel trilogy that you would want to see in an animated <laughs> or animated or live action? Would it be Jar Jar? Would you want to explore the Gungans? Well, Jar Jar is in um, Clown Wars, so he's already been in one, but I know who hasn't. But I, I don't think he was anyway. It's Watto. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah, that'd be a good, good call, actually. Yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to see a sleazy Tatooine series that's not necessarily around any characters that we even know, but just like the dark underbelly of like Tatooine or something like that. But I think it'd be a really for for a longer piece, not just one episode of the Mandalorian kind of thing. Mm. That was the one that was cancelled. That was planned already, wasn't it? I'm sure it was. Was it, was it? Star Wars Underground? Was it called? Was that a game? Oh. Well, that's that's definitely been mentioned before. I've not heard of that. But yeah, I, I like that idea, like a Breaking Bad, but in, on Tatooine sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That would be quite cool. That's a new one on me. Star Underworld. Star Wars Underworld, it was called. So, during the time span between the films of episode three and four. Um, yeah, there's over 50 scripts written and visualised. Cancelled in 2010. It, but it was, in, it was on Coruscant, not um, Tatooine. So that is all of the news this week, which brings us on to one of my favourite parts of the podcast. That would be the fan questions. Matt, what have we had sent our way? We've had some beauties, some absolute beauties this week. So we'll kickstart straight away. Andrew Wright, blinding at blinding right on Twitter. Uh, if you could choose one MCU slash DCEU superhero other than Batman to help patrol the streets of Wolverhampton, who would it be? Aquaman in the canal. <laughs> Did you know there was a, there was a sighting of, a, of an otter in the Wentzfield Canal not that long ago, Stu? Yeah, they're, they're there all the time. You see them all the time. I've never, I've never in my seven years of living here in Wentzfield. Yeah, but how, uh, how often do you get that? All, all of... the time. I'm on the I'm on my bike all the time. I'm a regular. I'm a regular <laughs> cyclist on the canal. Yeah, I've seen pelicans and all sorts down there. Pelicans. Yeah, if you go if you go the other way, if you're going towards towards the Collier, not towards the town. If you're going towards um, the Willingall, it's the Essington Canal. Eh? Um, if you go the other way, anyway, there's loads of stuff down there. Are you sure it's not a big heron? Shit. No, no, it wasn't a big heron. I know what a pelican is. <laughs> was, oh, okay. I'm gonna have to find this article now because. It was definitely a pelican <laughs> sitting on the towpath. I don't know where it, is, where it came from. <laughs> I can't believe it. A pelican escaped oh, from Dudley Zoo, maybe. It's They're like an exotic bird, aren't they? I don't know. You get them, you get them at the um, at Thomasland anyway. I'm sure you can. <laughs> a drone <laughs> manor. 
Christ. Andy, mm. who would you have uh, from um, the uh, from the comic book world? I probably I'd go for John Jones, the Martian Manhunter. He's already a police officer. He would be the perfect uh, perfect accomplice to the police, and he could just blend in with the background anyway. So, I yeah, like it, John Jones. I like it. Uh, Todd Dewitt wants to know what remake of a film is better than the original. First one that comes to my mind is Dawn of the Dead remake. I was talking to our friend Goldie about it the other day, actually. I think it's an excellent film. I'm a big fan of James Gunn, a a script writer, and obviously his direction works excellent. But yeah, it's a James Gunn script with a Zack Snyder directing. So visually it's great and the script's perfect. My kind of film. Stuart? uh, Thomas Crane Affair, Pierce Brosnan. Second one, way superior to the original one. In every way. Yeah. Matt, what, what's nice. yours? Ooh. Hmm. Uh, um, just hold on a second. A zoo near Wolverhampton is appealing for help to spot a baby pelican which has escaped from the park 3rd of August last year. See? Told you. I think... I, I think... Okay, okay. So, a pelican was there once, but I don't think they're native to the Essington Canal. No, they're not. Yeah, but they <laughs> are there. <laughs> but they could, it, could have, it could have mated with a heron. A, her- a helican. A helican? <laughs> Christ me. Jeez. Oh, good grief. Uh, <laughs> uh, Ash Dolan, a uh, friend of the show, would like... To, well, you're all friends of the show, I should say. That's maybe being very, very uh, insulting to the other questioners here uh what will be the next video game adaptation to film you'd like to see some form of donkey kong film wouldn't go amiss i and i think it was already rumored or it's in the works anyway but i'm dying will sell my soul for a bioshock film oh yeah um so i really want to see that world see rapture in it or in all its glory really horror it up though i don't want it as like a namby pamby like action film i want it i want purely horror um what about you guys is it time we had another crack at Street Fighter? <laughs> I mean, we, we've got Mortal Kombat coming back, and it's been longer since we've had a Street Fighter film. Mm. Or, or do I we some, have another uh, pass at Mario? Are some terrible well, things mm. left, 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 un, left untouched. <laughs> Mario's been Mario's out next year. It's made by DreamWorks, by the um, Minions people. Oh, have they confirmed it's going ahead? Yeah, I'm sure they've. I'm sure it's 2022. Okay, okay. Um, time splitters. That'd be fun. Oh, yeah. So a kind of bawdy comedy. Get Robin Asquith on board. Um, <laughs> yeah, a, a, a comedy comedy shooter. For, you could make it as a buddy cop film. We had one in for a while. So yeah, something mm. outrageous. Totally be interesting. Have you played? Oh, is it the sexy brutal? The, it's the one, it's a murder mystery set in a hotel and you've got like some kind of time windy where you keep going back and trying to lay traps. I think you could make an interesting murder mystery based mm. on the sexy brutal. I think that'd be quite an interesting game to do. Nice. Uh, Simon Gold wants to know, uh, do you want to see any others go the same route as Godzilla versus Kong or do you think they should all be saved for when cinemas reopen? So I guess he's talking about the, the streaming route with this. Um, I would happily rent Ghostbusters Afterlife to see it now. I want every film from now until the day I die to come <laughs> out on streaming at the same time. I just think yeah. that's the way forward. Both at the same time. They need to find the right price point for the streaming, though, because I do think £20 is too high. It's fine if you're a family of 
however many watching a film. But if you're on your own watching that movie, 20 quid's quite a lot just for the one person. So they need to find the right price point to attract everybody. I thought 15 15.99 for um, that film wasn't too bad. Considering you pay 20 quid for a fight, a boxing match that could last 10 seconds, as has happened before in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I think you, you are right. If you're on your own, what's the, the sweets? What's what? If you say nine ninety nine, everyone will buy because it's it's that thing of being under a tenner. Uh, see, mm. I, I I don't know if I agree with that because I mean I don't think the difference between being okay to spend the money at the cinema and, and and spending it at home is going to the cinema is leaving the four walls of your house and it's an experience and you're seeing it on equipment that is generally you would like to think better and bigger than your own home. If you're you know, if you're paying for it at home and you're still watching it on the same TV, the same quality that if you just streamed it via the IPTV that everybody has anyway for sport, <laughs> I, I don't think any price point is is worth it for me. I know maybe maybe that's, that's a heathen thing to say, but I, I don't think you're getting the experience at home that you would if you're paying a similar amount of money to watch it at a cinema. Yeah, but on the other point, on the well. Similar kind of thing. You, you could do the same when like, it's IPTV, everything off Disney Plus. But I've got Disney Plus because I like it being in 4K. Mm. You can't get that on Naughty Ways yet. Um, so from that point of view, if it, if you've got the technology to do, to do it and you've got the equipment to use to do, to watch it properly, I would. And it's always going to be – It's never you're never going to get normal people spending money to stream stuff. You just mm. won't. Um, but enthusiasts will, if they've got the right equipment. So there is there is something to do. There is something like if you have if you just got a living room, a normal living room with your telly in your corner, and you're asking people to spend ten quid. I don't think they would do it. You're probably right there. I think what I mean is, it, it, let's say the price. Let's say the price of the the, to the rental film. So I've got this telly that's got a Rakuten. Is it Rakuten? Rak- um, yeah, and yeah. Pressed, yeah, yeah. And I went on it today for the first time ever. I thought, oh, what's this? Bang, press the button. Oh, that's a film I haven't seen. I, I can't remember what film it was. I thought, well, I wouldn't mind watching that. I can't believe this is on stream. And then he said, like, fifteen ninety nine. I was like, fuck, absolutely fucking not. I'm not paying <laughs> yeah. that. But if that, if it was a film I wanted to see and it was that cost to go see it in a cinema, I'd pay that cinema money because I'm getting a better experience than if I'm watching it at home. Yeah. Because I enjoy the, I enjoy the trip to the cinema. I enjoy the event of going. See- that's why I think it would work having both going forward mm. because people will pay the money to go to the cinema if that's the experience they want. People will pay to see it at home if that's what they want. Mm. You're always going to get people who will pirate it regardless. You're never going to convince them otherwise. So you've just got to take them out of the bag. They wouldn't pay to see it at the cinema. They won't pay to see it yeah. on TV. You're not. They're not taking money out of your pocket because you were never going to get their money in the first place. Fair yeah, enough. it's like... It's like football, eh? You can you can watch football on telly at home. You can watch it in the pub, or you could spend money, more money, to watch it live mm-hmm. in the stadium. And I think that's probably the way it's going to go. That cinemas will be like for proper like proper film heads. If you, I can't try to think of the word, but people who are enthusiastic about the experience and not wankers going in, letting the babies cry for two hours. Yeah, I think yeah. That, that that's the route that it's going to go down, which will be. Probably the end for a lot of them, but to keep it alive, I think it's just going to be a special event. 
Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Scott, WWFC88. Scott, thanks for getting in touch. I'm not sure if this is the first time you've messaged us or not. I can't really remember, but we really appreciate you getting in touch. He's give us not one, not two, not three, not four, but five questions, but we're only going to have time to do the one. Uh, so, Nicholas Cage characters in all arena fight to the... I've pronounced that horribly. Nicholas Cage characters all in an arena fighting to the death. Who wins? If we just go based on the films that we've seen so far, so the 30-odd movies we've watched, <laughs> Jesus Christ, that's a lot of films, um, it's got to be the janitor, hasn't it, from Willy's Wonderland. Like, I'm, <laughs> I'm backing him against anybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's him against Sandy Cage. That's that's the, the, end, the end game fight of them all. <laughs> There's two absolute batshit mentalists. I reckon, like, if we could somehow get in touch with Nicolas Cage, like, and we put that, <laughs> I- put that idea to him, he'd probably be on board with it. <laughs> Just for shits and giggles, like, as a, yeah. as a self-indulgence piece. How good would that be to have Battle Royale with 30 Nick Cages? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's, <a> fact. <laughs> That's the animated film we need to see. That's yeah. what I want, yeah. <laughs> so thanks, uh, thanks, Scott, for getting in touch. Don't um, don't be put off by uh, us only answering the one. It's more of just a time issue. So I keep getting questions in, appreciate it. Uh, and last one from good friend of the show, Richard Hobbs, worst book to film adaptation. Two immediately spring to mind for me. Um, they're both books that I've read and have seen adapted. The Golden Compass, which was the Northern <laughs> Lights book, um, that's awful, really, really bad, whereas the book is fantastic. And the other one that sprang to mind is Time Traveller's Wife. I properly enjoyed that book, and the film was just a bit meh. Hmm. The um, the Golden Compass was never finished, was it? It, it, <laughs> it wasn't, Well, that's no. the series. It was just left on a cliffhanger. Which Yeah, the book obviously- ends... The book ends with the young boy being killed by um, Daniel Craig's character. Um, And obviously in the film, they didn't want to end it on a downbeat note, so they just left it hanging in the middle of nowhere. And it it felt like it was an unfinished film because that's exactly what it was. Well, speaking of Daniel Craig, I told you a massive lie there because David Evans had a question that actually I wanted to to talk about. Uh, After No Time to Die, how would you take forward the James Bond franchise? Should it continue to be a modern-day James Bond or perhaps reboot it in a different era, for example, go back to a 60s James Bond? Now, what, what I'd love to see, and I think the world maybe needs this right now as a... I don't think James Bond will ever get down don't, the line of, of, being a, of being a social commentary, but I would like to see a James Bond in the seventies or sixties fighting against sexist like abuse, fighting against racial abuse in the police system and that kind of thing, and actually being like that gentleman character, but doing it in a sort of wokish way. I think that'd be I think that'd be good to see. Yeah, that's not James Bond, is it? Um, it, could, it doesn't. You know what I mean? Things evolve, though. Things adapt, don't they? That you know, it can still be a woman. It can still be a womanizer, but it just, it just, you know, in the same way that, like, how do I put it? In um, Life on Mars, like he questions, <laughs> he questions like the morality of like the police that he's with, and he does it in that kind of way, and he just explores that kind of route with it. I just, I be, I think if you, I know it's taking it into a different realm in a way, but um, it just wouldn't be James Bond if you messed with it. I think putting it, you, you've already got Bond in the 70s 
and it was mental. So I don't think it would. And for me, I just I just wanted to just do films. You don't have to link it all together like they don't like um, Quantum of Solace kind of loosely followed on, but there was writer strokes and it was a waste of time. Mm. Um, it doesn't have to follow on films to film. It can just be individual films like it used to be. That that's what I'd do. I mean, and then when they when they get too old to do, it, just bring someone else in. You don't have to have these six film deals and. As long as it's in the same kind of universe, which it, most of them are, just put the right man for the job and then just carry on. Mm. But you don't have to be like we, we said last, last week, the week before, we don't have to, everything doesn't have to be a, a shared universe all the time. Mm. And that's the same with Bond. I'm not someone who's got much interest in the property. Like the, the few films of the, the modern ones I've seen, I don't particularly think are very interesting. Um, if they gave me something fresh and new, I would possibly give it a chance. Like when there was talk of Idris Elba a few years ago, he's probably a little bit too old now for it, I think. I would have been quite interested in that just to see how it would have changed the character. But it's not something I've got a lot of love from. Love for, sorry. Maybe, like you said, though, Matt, the idea of him going back and doing a period piece where it's set in the 70s, so it's something different. Mm. Maybe that, I don't know. Um, it's not my property, to be perfectly honest. There are others that I prefer. Well, there you go. Well, that's the questions. Thank you very much. As always, get in touch with us on the Twitter or uh, email in. And I believe we have an email question, do we not? We do. It is from our friend Tara Court. Um, she's been working her way through the old Question Cast episodes. Um so she wasn't sure if this had been asked, but it hasn't. And I think this is quite an interesting question. Where do you stand on separating the art from the artist? So she's been watching Alan versus Farrow. Um, and obviously there's a lot of, how, how do you put it without being libelous? There's a lot of questions surrounding the Alan relationship with one of the children whose name I can't remember, Dylan possibly. Um, so how do you stand on watching films by Woody Allen or you've got stuff like the Kevin Spacey movies after the accusations that have been levelled against him I mean she mentions Baby Driver because of Kevin Spacey and Ansel Elgort being problematic accusations of sexual assault on a 17 year old can you separate the art from the artist is it it's hard it's really hard I mean you know for me, who's musically going back in time at the moment, I'm enjoying a lot more music from the 70s and 80s. Uh, but it's no secret that the best period of time musically is also the same time when BBC would harbour paedophiles within its ranks. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't know that, like, cultures are completely different now, that we don't know that people who we think are fantastic are, are probably wrongans. Um, and from from the pro wrestling world, as as me and you probably relate to, Andy, the most yeah. obviously the work like the, the wrestler Chris Benoit, an amazing technical wrestler that that ended up essentially you know murdering his 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 wife and child, and you know can you watch his matches without thinking about the terrible things that he did? Um, it's a really difficult and hard balance because you know an actor or in wrestling or in acting or anything like that, the artist will always bleed themselves into the role that makes them so believable. Mm. And then by, so by that token, then shouldn't we, we should be uncomfortable by watching these pieces because that, that, that actor is invested in that role. And therefore, you know, 
you wouldn't, you, you know, you don't listen to Lost Profits now. I don't because well, not, not because in public the, you don't anyway public, yeah. anyway um <laughs> because of the actions of of like Ian Watkins um I just think it's 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 a really tough one because it is really hard to separate the artist from the action it, it's a weird one because there are people who get away with it I, I remember jokingly saying in um in our other whatsapp group about R Kelly saying like how good a song do you have to make that you can get away with being a paedophile Mm. Because it is that level of if you're a good enough artist, you can almost get away with it. Oh, so there's people yeah. like I don't name names actually, but just because obviously this is going out into the wide world. But there are people who've been accused of doing some pretty unsavoury things who have been Oscar nominated in the last few years alone. Um, they can get away with it because they're super famous, and people just let it sort of slide, or they'll just conveniently forget about it. It's a really difficult thing to do. And as you mentioned with the yeah. wrestling community, at the minute, there's a lot of them fuckers out there who've been called out about it over the past 12 months alone, who were still working for very big companies. I mean... It's tough. It's not tough for me because I don't care. <laughs> it's just, um, I mean, I've, as you probably expect me being this despicable person that I am. No, it's... For me, I, I really don't care. I couldn't care less. I, I just presume that anyone working in the arts is a knob anyway. Uh, just different levels of that. And when you get to meet nice ones like we had like Paul Clayton and stuff like that, who we've spoken to in, in person, and there's a lot of good people out there. But like you said, you're never going to get to the root of it all. And no doubt in my mind, this shit still goes on. And it's almost like... I'll come on to it later because of what we've been watching because there's some a thing on there that questions um, things as well. But if you had to ask yourself, can you take these people away from the art? 90% of them, yeah. But that 10%, you're probably taking away thousands of films, thousands of songs. I mean, obvious ones like Lost Profits, that's ridiculous. No chance because that's just... That some things, I suppose it's levels of despicability <laughs> that yeah. obviously messing with babies is fucked up. So, unfortunately for his bandmates, their lives are ruined because of what he did. That's just that's they're never going to be listened to anywhere unless you you got really have got to ask yourself things there. I mean, but Rock and Roll Part Two was in Joker two years ago, mm. and yeah, Gary Glitter did stuff in different countries where it's kind of semi-legal, but it's still terrible. But at the same time, then I, I, I jokingly used to listen to his Christmas song because <laughs> it was a great song, but he's awful. He's an awful person. Mike Tyson, do you still watch his, his boxing um, footage, even though he was a convicted rapist? Yeah, but it's still there in the back of your mind. But from an acting point of view, they're actors. They're playing with someone else. And I know what Tara was saying. Where she, mm. she can't. I think. Do you mention it for her? It was if they did it at the time that the film was made. That's one way to see. But for me, they're playing a role. They're not playing them. So I can kind of take myself away from it. But that maybe that's like how some people can be um, murder detectives and see horrific stuff all the time. And um, mm. but. For the general person, if you go and see a dead body or a mutilated corpse, it's going to fuck you up. 
So maybe it's just that kind of thing that you have to be a certain kind of person or a certain mentality to just brush over some things and just get on with it. I don't know. It's a difficult one. I don't think there's a right or a wrong answer. I think if you go down the route of saying, I'm not going to watch X because of this accusation, where do you draw the line? You've then got to start watching every film by every person who's ever done anything slightly dodgy. Yeah, I, I think it, we we had this conversation in the fan cast, didn't we, where if you look hard enough at any, you know, people will be picky about certain companies because of their ethical practices. But if you look hard enough at any company, they're, the company that they're owned by or their subsidiary or somewhere they trade with or something, mm-hmm. there's always going to be something unsavoury there. It's almost what does... What does Cyrus say in the in the Matrix? Well, you wouldn't know, Andy, but he says ignorance, <laughs> ignorance is bliss. Um, do you know what I mean? It's a difficult one. I think I think the severity of the crime also plays a plays a, a big part in this. Yeah, um, as Stu said, um, we just have to be careful that we don't we don't glorify these people. That's a big mm-hmm. part of it. You know, Chris Rock in one of his stand up said, you know. People love Michael Jackson that much that they were willing to let the first kid slide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's right, though, know. isn't it? I think you have to draw your own line and just stick to it. I, I know I've done it, and I know I've also been a hypocrite by allowing, enjoying other actors' works who've probably been as bad. But unfortunately, that's just the world. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Tara, though. Really yeah, good question. Yeah, great though. question. Great question. So before we dip into our usual film questions, Matt's come up with a new idea of looking at other forms of artistic expression where we'll take a turn each week to ask a question about something other than movies. Matt, what was your thinking with this? Why, why did you want us to do this? I just think that, you know, there's, there's such a wide reach out there and some things overlap with each other, like musically. You know, we talk a lot about how we enjoy really good storytelling uh, mm. in film. And my question this week is around storytelling in music in one single song. And I think that obviously the arts, they bleed into each other quite a lot. So I just think it'd be a fun idea for us to reach out to other people that might not be as filmy as uh, as us, but, you know, really like music, really like books, really like TV, um, really like games or really like, you know, interpretive dance, I don't know. And just, uh, you know, if they want to then get involved with us, then they can. So what I want to ask you guys is the single best st- piece of storytelling in one song. Sh- uh, Andy, you go first. Good question. I mean, I've got a list of 11 here, so to try and narrow it down is difficult. Um, like, There's one which I think actually tells a story, and there's one where you interpret the story. So, okay, so the one that tells the story is Hurricane by Bob Dylan. Which okay. is about the story, um, the story of the boxer who was wrongly accused of um, murder. I'm a big Bob Dylan fan, and I think that that sort of folksy country style is one of the better ones for describing a story. So you've got stuff like that, Jolene by Dolly Parton, The Gambler. Um, I mean, Johnny Cash has got some absolute belting stories. Uh, the one that I think you need to interpret is a little bit more is probably the Chelsea Hotel by Leonard Cohen, mm. uh, which is about a love affair that he had with, I want to say Marion Faithful, but I might be incorrect. Um, but you should, if you get a chance to watch the live version of this, where he tells the story about meeting the young lady in the, 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 the lift and how she was there to meet Chris Christopherson. Um, 
fantastic. Uh, I was a big Leonard Cohen fan, so those um, are the two that came to my mind. Brilliant, Stu. I mean, this was one where I actually had to think for a change. Um, <laughs> and the one that came to mind straight away was Stan, Eminem. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely great, uh, great show that is. I think um, rap, rap is quite similar to country in that they are both storytelling devices and they work really well when there's a good story to them. And the the, the other one, it was, it's more lyrics than anything else. And it, it's, listen to things of this: times have changed, our kids are getting worse. They won't obey their parents. They just want to f and curse. Should we blame <laughs> the government or bl- blame society? Should we blame the images on TV? I mean, that, that's powerful stuff. <laughs> I don't know what Finish this is. Finish that off. It's... I don't think... <laughs> I <No>. do. <laughs> blame Canada. <laughs> blame Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it wouldn't be something serious because I could sit <laughs> and giggling away like a school. I don't think, think he'd get it that quickly. but <laughs> It's like one of my all-time favourite films. <laughs> I know it back to front. <laughs> so my, mine, there's, there's two, basically. There's um, Up the Junction by Squeeze which is essentially the story of a it's, a... it's a love story gone wrong, basically, in, mm. in a short pop song. Um, it's 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 a stuff... Yeah, it's just it's just great. It's, 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 it's a two-and-a-half to three-minute love story and, and how someone's addiction takes over. In, and, okay. uh, and it's really nicely done. And then um, Babushka by Kate Bush. Oh, good um, choice, yeah. Which is a, also a fantastic piece of storytelling about a man who falls out of love with his wife, but then... Is uh, seduced by by the uh, by the by his wife who plays another woman um, essentially, and, and talks about how she, she how this man falls in love with what she used to be. It was really really nicely, just two really good pieces of storytelling in in song there. So what we're going to do now is we're going to put a pick from each, not playing uh, <laughs> uh Stan uh, the Leonard Cohen song, and we'll probably do uh, Squeeze Up the Junction as a poll. You guys tell us, out the, out the three of them, have a listen uh, and tell us which one you think has the best storytelling and then let us know in on the tweet. So uh, get your notifications um, selected for us so you get our tweets first time. Ring that little bell. Superb. Right, okay. So on to the film questions. What have you been watching lately? Matt? One thing has been gripping my TV and I'm late to the party with this, but it is Line of Juicy. Um, I've never never watched it before, and I only watched it because of the fan cast being so insistent on talking about it every weekend. Um, and so I thought I'll give it a go. And it wasn't out of this like hipster thing of not wanting to watch it because everyone's watching it. And I was also sick of Gogglebox re- being ruined every Friday. We having to turn over because they they do pretty much talk about it every week. Um, I'm halfway through series two, and it's it's just phenomenal television. Really, really enjoying it. It zigs, it zags. When you think you've got it all figured out, it changes the question, a la Roddy Piper. It's just, um, it's just wonderful. I'm really enjoying it so far, and it's um, showing like the dark underbelly of the corrupt, the potentially corrupt system. Is excellent. It also coincides with the fact I'm listening to an audio book called The Secret Barrister, talking about how the British justice system is on its arse, um, and how you wouldn't believe what goes on in the courtrooms of across our great nation and how fucked up it is. So to, 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 to listen to that audiobook and watch Line of Duty, it's uh, it's slightly worrying. But uh, yeah, really entertaining television, loving it. Just as a slight aside, have you seen Infernal Affairs or um, 
the American version, The Departed, which is about the dirty Departed. cops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I just thought, because like you were describing that, and I thought, actually, it sounds like you mm, might yeah. enjoy that film. If, yeah, like, I, I, I love The Departed. Yeah, it was great. Great stuff. Stu, what's been on your telly box? Um, well, I watched The Godfather <laughs> for the first time. When you were talking about it the other week, you know, I thought, well, it's mm. got to be done. And then I realised I hadn't actually got a copy of it. I, I thought I had it on the DVD, and I didn't. So got a nice copy of that for the uh, trilogy for five forty nine off eBay. Great little uh, midnight shopping. And um, watch that. Watch the Godzilla film, the reboot Godzilla film in, in preparation for Godzilla versus Kong later in the week when I get to because I want to do th- all four of them, one after the other. Um, but there's one I, I, that I kind of dipped into earlier that I mentioned that I watched earlier today. Um, it's called Sea Spiracy. It's a film on Netflix about it's well, it's about ocean plastics, which it sounds like the most. Nonsense, not nonsense ever. That I thought, oh shit, I ain't gonna be watching stuff like this. But someone drew me to it, and I thought, okay, I'll give it a chance. And it was one of the most powerful documentaries I've seen for years. And like you said, Andy, when we were talking, mentioned it earlier that if it's been mentioned in conversation for an award, it absolutely deserves it because it. I mean, the guy started out as being someone who loves fish and film documentaries about fish, and David Attenborough and everything's mentioned in there, and as he was going through his journey of making these films himself, it was like the amount of plastic and rope and fishing stuff that was washing up and why do people do this? And and then it turns out that this, like, just without going into it, one, one thing that he said about plastic straws, uh, we're all met, led to believe that plastic straws are killing turtles all over the world and it's like 0.3% of all plastic in the ocean is just straws, which is nowhere near what they're, they're making it out to be like 50%. And he said, it's hardly anything mm. at all. It's all fishing gear. And it, it's how it's the whole system of tuna and whaling and dolphin catching and stuff like that and shark fins, how it's all linked and it's all corrupting big business. And it's just really, really fascinating documentary. It's really well made, an Australian guy. Um, so, yeah, oh, that's I- on Netflix, air and off. You might then be interested in something a bit more positive, My Octopus Teacher. Um, it's Oscar-nominated. It's available on Netflix. Uh, a filmmaker forges an unusual friendship with an octopus living in South African kelp forest, learning as the animal shares the mysteries of her world. It's a bit different. Um, like I say, it's Oscar-nominated, so that might be something that, as you're in the sea world at the moment, maybe <laughs> you might want to check that one out. Added as we speak. So for me, um, I've basically started watching at least one Shudder film a week. I've started doing Shudder Saturdays. So <laughs> I watched a film this last weekend called Violent, which is a revenge film. Um, really good little film, actually. Properly enjoyed that. Uh, basically, two uh, brother-in-law and a sister get murdered by this other sister, and the story unfolds. As it goes through, it starts going back in time with flashbacks and stuff. Really well made. And you can tell it's done on a shoestring, but I was impressed. Uh, there was another film called Slacks, which was fucking ridiculous. It's spelled Slacks, S-L-A-X-X. And it is about a murderous pair of trousers. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's insane. It's set in a Gap-like clothing store where this pair of trousers is haunted by someone who died whilst they were picking the cotton that was used for the uh, the trousers. It's 
bananas, but fun. I watched a film on Netflix this very evening called Run with Sarah Paulson. Um, Enjoyed that. Good film. Uh, The young girl, uh, a young paraplegic girl who her mom is played by Sarah Paulson and she believes that Sarah Paulson is hiding secrets from her and it all unravels through the film. Great. Uh, But the one film that I really wanted to point out is a excellent musical biopic called Rocket Man by Elton John. I absolutely loved that movie. It's precisely what I wanted from that type of film. It's big. It's ridiculous. It's over the top. It's got an unreliable narrator, so you know that everything is kind of silly, but it's all done within the world of Elton John's um, drug-addled brain at that point because the story is being told from his point of view as he's at an AA meeting dressed in his full devil gear from a gig. I just thought it was superb, really well done. And Taron Egerton was just, he's, he's always watchable anyway, but I thought he was superb as uh, Sir Elton. Really good movie. It's almost as good as Bohemian Rhapsody as well. Better than Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> Bohemian Rhapsody was just a straight film that was boring you know, and we know not... What the- Interesting. We know, what the, we know what the people said. Very well. I don't see how we see that as anything but a win for me. <laughs> if you take all of the people out who like Queen and liked the film, because they're obviously biased. Hey, I'm right. don't, don't, don't insult the will of the people. <sighs> the people <laughs> like Coldplay and voted for the Nazis. You cannot trust people. <laughs> yeah, well, there we go. Can't hold me that logic either. No. Right, so the first question proper is mine this week. Recently, I watched Mank, which is about the uh, writer of Citizen Kane, which got me into thinking, what is your favourite directorial debut? And as a side, Mank, which is up for the best Oscar, it was quite boring, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> uh, but no, so yeah, who what's your favourite directorial debut, Stu? Mention it loads over the last eight, nine months. Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs, easily. <laughs> Class above. Ne- I've never seen a film like that before. Uh, well, no, I wouldn't have done at that age anyway. <laughs> Way too young to be seeing that kind of thing. And when it came out, what was it, probably about 10, 11 years old, um, watching it on video, just superb. And to get it to get it that right at the first attempt. So I had to, I had to even double-check earlier just in case it wasn't his first. But, yeah, to get it that right that quickly... First time out, spot on. I just looked because I thought it was, I was just checking the date. 1992 that was released. It does not feel like a film that is 29 years old. No, no, that's what I mean. So when it, when it came out on video, mid, mid-90s, yeah, I would have been about 10. <laughs> wow, incredible. Yeah, I mean, I know obviously QT had done some work prior to that as a script writer, I believe. Yeah. But yeah, for his first directorial debut tremendous really good movie and i love the fact that 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 whole movie would have been a 10 minute scene in any other film it was a next level genius and that's why i've always been a big fan of qt because he does have this other way of looking at things that i really like matt what's your favorite first time film so we've got uh, two here. Uh, Neil Blomkamp's District Nine mentioned oh, yes. it on um, on Stadecast. Um, really excellent film that a was done on a relative shoestring in comparison to massive big budget films. B stylistically is is 
it's not beautiful because it's not colourful. It's it's very it's very kind of two tone, I guess you'd say. But it's just done in a like you wouldn't think that someone with such little experience would have the have the foresight to make this world of aliens, humans coexisting, but in the slums of like apartheid South Africa, like it, and the, what what it does and using that. Um, using that metaphor throughout the film's done really well. And then as the film progresses and he's and he, he slowly, his transformation, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. He's, he's done He's done really, really well. Just an excellent film. Um, and one a film that I'll try and shoehorn in any episode I can, uh, Rob Reiner in This Is Spinal Tap. This is <laughs> directorial debut. But I mentioned him, be- and I mentioned this film more because what he's done post-Spinal Tap. You know, he we went on a real flurry with um, the sure thing, stand by me, Princess Bride. Um, he uh, when Harry met Sally Misery, a few good men. You know, it's it's it wasn't a one hit wonder. We wouldn't have struck gold with Spinal Tap. He actually went on to do obviously more, I'd say, mainstream kind of films. But you know, for pure personal enjoyment, you know, this is Spinal Tap. Is it's in my top three of all time anyway? So it had to be that. Yeah, I mean, both of my honourable mentions were Spinal Tap and Reservoir Dogs. I'd put them as my honourable mentions because I knew there was a good chance that <laughs> it was they were going to get mentioned beforehand. Uh, I've also got two films that I think were just A-plus directorial debuts. So Gone Baby Gone, which was Ben Affleck's directorial debut. Like, he had a proper rough run in the early 2000s with Daredevil and Lee. People fucking hated Ben Affleck. <laughs> like, I mean, hated him. It, it wasn't just that they ignored him. They hated his guts because he was with J-Lo and he seemed to be getting on in life, but his films weren't quite up to standard that they had been prior. I thought it was unfair because, I mean, he's decent in Daredevil if the film underserves him, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but the second half of that decade, I think Affleck put in this amazing performance as George Reeves in Hollywoodland. Uh, George Reeves, if you don't know, was the original Superman on TV um, who killed himself. And it was it's a really good movie. I'd recommend anyone to check that out. But then he stepped behind the camera for Gone Baby Gone. He co-wrote and directed this adaptation. Um, so it resembled something that you would expect from a seasoned pro like David Fincher. And for a first-time director to come out with this really deep, gritty, cynical, dark, layered, textured film, Mm -hmm. I thought it was just astounding. And the cast that he had working on that was heavyweight. So we had Casey Affleck, obviously his brother, Michelle Monaghan, Morgan Freeman, Ed Harris, Titus Welliver, Michael um, Williams. Like a lesser director would have been eaten alive by that cast. I think he did a fantastic job with it. And the other film that I wanted to mention is Get Out, Jordan Peele. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've, I know I've spoken about that several times on this podcast, so I don't need to go deep into it. But, like, he was robbed. He deserved an Oscar for, for the best film of the year for that one. I thought it was fantastic. Hopefully this year, Daniel Kaluuya is going to get his Oscar that he deserved for that film as well. But hopefully he'll get it for the Judas and the Black Messiah this year. So those no, are my two. With Get Out, I would never have what give it even a chance, and that's you were wanking yourself silly over it all the time. You you need to watch this, and yeah, I, I would never guess that that was his first film. No way, nowhere near. 
class. Mm. Have you seen his follow up, Us? Yes. It's great, isn't it? Again, yeah, just big fan was, of the guy. Yeah, as soon as it, as soon as it came out, it, well, as soon as it was available to watch, mm. I um, I watched it straight away. Yeah, considering again where he came from, you don't expect it. No, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, he's a comedian. His wife's a comedian. He's done comedy shows throughout most of his career. So to then step into the horror genre and just knock it out of the park, brilliant stuff. Uh, the next question is yours, Matt. Well, I just want to know where you draw the line at food in the cinema. So, <laughs> <laughs> where what what is acceptable? What's not acceptable? Let's put the marker on it now, so the rest of the world knows what the do's and the don'ts are. Stu, what's your uh, what's your line when it comes to food in the cinema? What what's acceptable? And what isn't? I mean, personally, I have only ever in my entire life bought popcorn. I've never bought anything else. I'll I'll steal some nachos if someone else next to me's got them. Um, but I wouldn't go down the hot dog and all that kind of bollocks. But again, if that's what you want, do we? I think the only thing for me, if and I've never seen this anywhere, but if someone took fish to the cinema, then just get out. Just, just, <laughs> just don't, don't, just don't. What about one of your pelican buddies? Well, exactly. <laughs> the, the pelicans would be waiting outside for the fish, so it'd be their own fault. Um, and actually, after watching that sea film, it's got me thinking. But yeah, <laughs> a- anything that stinks, just why? There's no need, mm. no need at all. I say it's got to be included. The gold he did once buy uh, McDonald's and take it over there to <laughs> to Sydney World to have a burger in watching a, a film. Um, See, I, I think but, that's okay. I yeah, think there was nothing right. really. I wasn't there, so I, I I just, but I would presume that it didn't. It wasn't too bad, so got no real issue with that. But yeah, anything anything that stinks, nah, don't be doing it. Well, Andy, I know that you're very much on the on the one end of the extreme argument in this, <laughs> and I think just being allowed to physically move your lips is bad enough for you. So where are you when it comes to food <laughs> in the cinema? I, I'm really drawn on it because. Part of me thinks it's really bad form to take your own food. So cinemas don't get hardly any money from the films they actually show. Most of their money comes from concessions. So you are literally taking money out of the cinema's pocket. It's just going straight. All of the money that you're paying for the film goes straight to the Fox Mm -hmm. or it's Disney now, for example. The money that to keep a cinema going comes from the concessions that you buy. I think it's something like they don't make a penny on the film until maybe six or eight weeks after it's released. Most of the time, the film's gone by then. But at the same time, the price of food and drink is obscene in these places. Mm. So it's it's such a difficult line to draw. I very much draw the line on taking... I don't like hot food in there because hot food generally leads to a set of smell for 99% of the time. You are right, definitely no fish. <laughs> the hot dogs and stuff, they're, they're rancid. They're absolutely rank. And if you've got onions on there, they smell. Nachos, too noisy for the cinema. <laughs> it needs to be just silent food. I, mean, <laughs> I don't like popcorn in the cinema. I will allow it. But people need to be able to like take a breath when they've had a handful of it for a start, rather than just keep shoveling it into their open fucking gob. We'll never go to cinema together, Andy. Like, literally, we'll <clears> never go. Because I'm... What's the name of the 
fucking Hoover and Teletubbies. That's me, basically, with popcorn <laughs> in the cinema. Like, I can't get enough of this stuff. Um, when it, that's why when I, had, when I had popcorn the other night, and I thought, I'm going to send the picture to him just to wind him up. Because <laughs> I know it's going to affect him, <laughs> even though he's not even here. It's fine if you're at home. I'm, I'm not going to be a Grinch about that. But... <laughs> Mm, I mean, for me, I mean, you both mentioned it. There's, there's two factors to take into consideration: there's noise and there's smell, isn't there? Mm. Um, anything with an, an obtuse amount of crunch or slurping is obviously a no-go. But I'm absolutely not against people bringing food in for the for the cost of because of the the costing thing. Um, if it was more reasonable, a they get more people buying it. Mm. Um and B they get less people taking it, but I you know it's not it's not against the law as I think some people think that it is to bring your own food in. But you know if if it does smell, then obviously that's a major issue. So where do you lie then on cinemas like Everyman Cinema that actively promote you ordering food and drink as part of the experience? Is that a big no no for you, Andy? For me, definitely. I I hate that idea. Someone bringing a fucking four course meal to your <laughs> table definitely not and also like you're going to have people walking in front of other people as they deliver food you're you're actively ruining other people's experiences by doing that mm. definitely yeah. no from me i don't i don't get that either because i mean oh when we've um when we've been to Cineworld in um in broad street in birmingham and we've got we've went to a five guys beforehand and that was great because you get the best of both worlds, you go out for food, and then you go and watch a film, and then you go home. So putting putting it two in one, when you can't, you're eating and slurping together, but you can't talk to each other. You're supposed to be watching a film anyway. Mm. It doesn't really. I don't understand. But obviously, we wouldn't go to one of them places, would we? Because it's not for us. So for it to exist, and if if everyone, if it kept people there who who like doing this kind of thing, then fine. But nah, it, that ain't for me either. <clears throat> Fair. There you go. Mm. Would you go to something like that, a, a meal and a, a movie? I have. I have done. I've been to Every Man a couple of times, and I like. I mean, my experience at Every Man wasn't fantastic. It was for a Metallica S and M two, so okay. it was basically the Metallica and the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra. And listen, there shouldn't ever be rules when it comes to heavy metal. It it, it is it is <laughs> formed on the basis that. It is. There are no rules. However, you, the, Metallica aren't there, so there's no need to sing along in the cinema to it. Let me watch the show. And because there was drink involved, <laughs> people were getting more and more rowdy as it went on. And I'm like, come on, guys! Like they're not they're not in Birmingham. They've already pre-recorded yeah. this. Like, let me watch it. I want to watch James Hetfield sing, not the bloke behind me singing his songs. So right, if you're at a gig, but not not here, please. And that, and because they've been drinking and stuff like that, that obviously enhanced that. So it was a bit of a downer. Yeah, I, I do find the idea of going to a concert at a cinema very strange. Like I know you can go to sing along show versions of films, and that that's cool if if that's what you want. And that's, that's obviously the expecta- that's the expectation yeah. is a sing along element, though, isn't it? But if I'm going to watch a concert there. If I'm going to watch a concert, I want to sing along and be part of it. But if mm. I'm in a cinema, I want silence so I can watch it. I, I don't know. It just feels like a really bizarre thing, a concert in a cinema hall. I don't know. Mm. I don't think watching live concerts is weird anyway. I mean, I've got Familiar to Millions, the Oasis one from about 98-ish yeah. um, at Wembley. And 
Well, I've watched it. I've watched it loads of times. Um, but I've never sung along to it in my living room on my own. <laughs> it just, it just feel weird. It's like, it's almost like you are. It's a different experience. So why try and turn one into the other when it's not that kind of thing? So, yeah, I agree. All singing in cinemas banned. <laughs> yeah, bit of a strange one. Uh, so the next question and the last question is stews. Yeah. So for everyone wants the next big thing. So. Studios spend shitloads of money promoting these things, and sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. But in some cases, they fail spectacularly. So I don't know which is the, the worst or best case of this happening. Andy, you start. So I've got two. Um, one is part of a successful um, series, and the other one killed a series before it even got going uh, so that would be speed racer which was a wachowski's film which was expected to do big things and it looked tremendous like you could clearly tell that they had taken this i mean when they made the matrix they broke the mold with some of the stuff they were doing and they were further in the language of cinema to sound really wanky they were trying to make it bigger <laughs> and better and do something new and interesting and it looked superb and the film did less than a hundred million. It was absolutely panned. People didn't understand it, and it was based on a cartoon, so it shouldn't have been that complicated. And it just didn't work in the slightest. It was really bad. So that's the one that killed anything before it got going. And the other one, which didn't have the impact it should have, especially when it's part of the Star Wars oeuvre, is the Solo film. Yeah. Was shit. I have to be perfectly honest. <gasps> I, I think such a a bang average middle of the road movie. I couldn't really even tell you much of what's happened in it. And it had Woody Harrelson in, and I'm a huge fan of Woody Harrelson. And it was just cack. It, it didn't do anything to really further any stories. Uh, what a face. Daenerys Targaryen was really shit. <laughs> like she's shitting everything apart from Game of Thrones. It should have been the start of the whole a young Han Solo run of films. And instead, it ended up being so badly received and so piss poor made that they completely changed the way that they were looking at doing films going forward from Disney because it was so bad. His views and his views around there. <clears throat> it's, not, it's not so bad at all. It's, it's, it's better than all the prequels. The problem is the prequels are awful films. <laughs> this film is just nondescript. Yeah, it's it is that, that's it, the issue, I think I mean. It's a, it's on mine. It was one of my mentions as well, just for that reason that it was I thought he was a, a pretty good Han Solo, to be fair to him. And there was but it was a film that didn't need to be made. That was the mm. problem with it. And it didn't really work. But it was it wasn't I've I've probably only watched it three times in total. I've got it. It's there, sitting there. Um, but then to do what they did at the end, that's kind of fucked everything now. So unless they're going to mention that in the Obi Wan series as well, I know it's mentioned in Clone Wars why he's at, why he's there at the end. Um, I forget everyone knows Darth Maul's in this film. Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're like four to years old, <laughs> <laughs> Um Yeah, so the, adding that bit and the, a bit of was she on the other side all along. There was no real need to do that, but yeah, it was it was all right. But yeah, it was on my mentions as well. But it's not terrible. Mm. 
Matt? Um, so I went with kind of like culturally falling, falling flat on its face as opposed to like box office, though I don't think this did fantastically anyway. Um, Sucker Punch. Um, yeah. Basically, it had it had all the makings of, of, at least at the time, being quite an excellent film in that, you know, it was it was on the basis of like 300 stylistically, it could have been, you know, it had the chance of being like a female empowerment story in a time when that wasn't really in, I suppose. And what it ended up being was just another massive self-indulgence for Zack Snyder. And actually on this, when you look <laughs> at it, it was deeply misogynistic. And the only time that the only time that these women actually ever had any kind of control over the evil men in their lives was in make believe, but actually in real life they were just like these weak women. It was really like it just wasn't the film it should have been, and it was terribly received as well. Um, yeah, it ended up being quite a nasty film when it was, as you say, it was supposed to be female empowerment, and it was quite the opposite. Mm. The one, the I only mean, good I, thing to come out of that film was Oscar Isaac. To be perfectly <laughs> honest, I know that um, it was it was pretty poorly received, and there was talk about like an underlying thing of Zack Snyder having like a kind of near rape fantasy on the back of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember that was, talk. Yeah, <laughs> uh, all good. Um, the other one, and you might find this <laughs> surprising, really. Um, I Robot. So I Robot, the Will Smith film, had all of the all of the, the ingredients there to be a really thought provoking um, exploration of what AI is and in the future and how it's gonna it's going to impact our world and what the what the worries are gonna be there on the back of it. And what it ends up being is quite a placid paint by numbers story that eventually asks questions but it asks ironically all the wrong questions which is i think what one of the characters says in it um it opened the it could have opened the doors for like ethical questioning of ai um and it just doesn't it realizes that it goes too much the other way of just being an exploration of what cgi is available at that time and it doesn't really get to the mm. meat of the bone of what could have been a really good story you know it's um the game the PS4 slash PS5 game, Detroit Become Human, is a better AI than AI. Mm. Um, that game is class. About 10, probably 10 hours long, I suppose. Mm. Um, a few quick. And it does go into the whole Blade Runner thing of electric sheep and all that kind of the ethical questions that you're on about. And mm. I mean, visually, it still looks all right, but that's all it is. Yeah, I just think it was a missed opportunity, and it should it should have it should have been the start of a genre. You know what I mean? Yeah. It should have been it should have been more, but it, it sadly it wasn't. That that's made me think of another film, but I'll wait for Stu's answer just in case it's the one he's going with. I mean, the question came about because of your ridiculous hatred of Avatar, um, <laughs> just because <laughs> Avatar as a, spect- a spectacle in three D, which is what it was made for, is great, and. No, unless you absolutely detest 3D, which you do, mm-hmm. um, you can't deny that because it, it, it was the first time it was it had been done. It looks amazing. And then bleh, it went away. The sequels still haven't happened. Is it next year? 
the, the next it's been four. next year for the last decade, yeah. though, hasn't it? So to have four films filmed back to back of a series that never went past the first one that no one talks about anymore and had such great promise at the time was, I mean, I've still got my avatar bag for football, still take it everywhere. <laughs> um, but no one knows what it is. There's people who haven't even seen it or don't, don't even know what it, they've heard of it. They all work with it. Like young 18, year, 18 19 year olds say avatars of now. They're probably going to think of The Last Airbender mm. rather than the Avatar James Cameron film. So and there's that. And I've mentioned it before on here John Carter, which is just it died on its arse, which is amazingly on Disney Plus. So it, it is worth watching because it's, it is throwaway fun. But for what Disney obviously wanted it to be, it just completely failed. Mm. I knew you was going to say John Carter. That was why I left it off my list. <laughs> I saw it on a list and thought, oh, that, that's what that's the answer. But I thought, no, Stu will have that. Yeah. But that, that reminds me, actually, Avatar The Last Airbender. That film should have been the start of something. Because I haven't seen it, but the original show is loved by millions. It's as big as like Pokemon and stuff, I believe. Um, and that film is probably bottom five. It's It's really, really boring shockingly bad but the film um when matt mentioned i robot uh hancock was it yeah. the other will smith film again that had all the ingredients to be a film of a generation and it was just kind of okay like it had yeah. will smith in for fuck's sake it should have been amazing and it just wasn't it was almost like a film at a time because it was too late for the initial superhero rebirth mm. in, in cinema, but it, then it was it was a bit of both. It was too early and too late for its own good. Yeah. Well, the script originally was written as a R-rated superhero movie, but yeah. nobody oh. would finance an R-rated superhero movie, and then Deadpool came along. Mm. So had Hancock have come out, you know, the last two or three years, it may have been a hit. So you are right, it is very much out of its time. But yeah, that that's another one, I think, that could have been something and just wasn't. Yeah. Mm. So there we are for another week. Next week we're back to the picture part and we will be going back and actually discussing adaptation this time. <laughs> Obviously we mentioned it last time. It's a 2002 film with double Nick Cage. It's a good, fun movie. I would recommend checking it out. It is available on Netflix currently. So that's up next time. So make sure you've got us subscribed on your podcatcher. Make sure you've got us on the Twitter at CageFightingPod and send any emails that you may have, reviews of film or whatever you want, absolutely anything to CageFighting. Hang on, CageFightingPod. <laughs> I completely forgot what the email. I, I call it Cage. <laughs> I called the cagefighting.com on the fancast yesterday, so... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I started it and Matt just turned his head and looked at me and I was like, have I done something wrong? He <laughs> just it threw me. Um, cagefightingpod at gmail.com is the email. So for this week, Matt, would you like to say goodbye? A lovely bit of squirrel. Take it easy, <laughs> goodbye. Stu, would you like to say goodbye? Please recycle your plastics. Goodbye. <laughs> That's poor. That's poor. <laughs> that's poor pelicans. <laughs> exactly.
You watch when there's a when there's a pelican attacking your bike when you're down there. You'll be sorry. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me, and remember, be excellent to each other. <laughs>